This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Our program today operates under the unusual circumstance of the host and producer being 4,000 miles apart. We have done this before and managed to make it work, so we will do our best to do likewise today. We're very pleased to note that on today's program, we will be continuing our talk, started last week, with St. John Hunt. He's the son of Watergate burglar E. Howard Hunt. Although E. Howard Hunt is best known to history as being one of the ringleaders of the Watergate burglary, there is a great deal more to his story. And St. John Hunt will continue to fill us in on some of the details about his remarkable father's life and adventures in our second segment today. We are confident, my dear listener, that you will find that to be a most curious conversation. We shall begin today's program as we like to begin most programs with a look back at history and a review of what happened on this date, which in this case is the 14th of January. It was on January 14th in the year 1690 that Johann Christoph Denner of Nuremberg, Germany, invented the clarinet, which would lead eventually to Benny Goodman's Sing, Sing, Sing. About as good a tune as there is. On the 14th of January in 1896, Carlo Ponzi immigrated to the United States from Italy. He ran a rather famous pyramid scam, a type of crime now named for him, in, as in the Ponzi scheme. He was caught and deported in 1934, but, but amazingly, Ponzi was able to talk himself into getting a high position in Italy's financial sector. Somewhat unsurprisingly, he embezzled money from the treasury, but did escape to Brazil, where he died in 1949. January 14th in 1943, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill and U.S. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt met in Casablanca, Morocco to discuss strategy and study the next phase of World War II. They announced at that time the Allies would accept only unconditional surrender from the Axis powers. When there was an attempt to undermine that proclamation by the likes of Alan Dulles and a few others, they did stick to it. And by 1945, with a little help from the Russians, quite a bit of help from the Russians, actually, they were able to obtain that unconditional surrender. And on January 14th in 1963, George Wallace was inaugurated as the governor of Alabama. He promised his followers segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. Fortunately, that is not what Alabama and the nation got. Our quote of the day comes from physicist Richard Feynman. I do want to note with some sadness that I missed an appearance by his daughter Michelle at a bookstore in Pasadena last weekend. Missed it by one day. She's got a new book out about uh, her father's correspondences and various sayings and things, and I'm sure it's a good book, and I would have liked to have heard her talk. And we would, of course, refer you to our previous chat with Michelle Feynman in our archives at radioparallax.com. But back to the quote, said her illustrious father, in physics the truth is rarely perfectly clear, and that is certainly universally the case in human affairs. Hence, 
what is not surrounded by uncertainty cannot be the truth. Which leads us to our quip of the day from that noted quipster Adolf Hitler. What luck for rulers that men do not think. You know, I think we best balance off a Hitler quip with somebody else. So let's try John Kenneth Galbraith, who once said, There are two classes of forecasters, those who don't know and those who don't know they don't know. For our joke of the day, we will go to Emo Phillips, who once said, When I was a kid, I used to pray every night for a new bicycle. Then I realized that the Lord doesn't work that way. So I stole one and asked him to forgive me. Our anecdote of the week for today's show is the fact that um, after five years of trying, Republicans are sending a bill to President Obama's desk for the first time that would repeal key parts of the Affordable Care Act, which is Obama's signature piece of past legislation in his administration. Evidently, this legislation was pushed ahead by an obscure budget mechanism known as reconciliation, and it marks the 62nd attempt by Republicans to repeal the president's health care law dating back to 2011. Now, Obama has vowed to veto the bill, and Republicans lack the necessary two-thirds vote in both House and Senate to override that veto. But House Speaker Paul Ryan said the bill, which would, by the way, also strip Planned Parenthood of federal funding, was part of the GOP's effort to preserve a bold alternative agenda during the 2016 election year. Yikes. Our good news item of the week for this week, and this is a rather small item, I would say, but I'm going to go with it anyway, is that next Sunday, HBO is going to air The Godfather Epic, which takes the original Godfather and puts it chronologically. The Godfather Part Two, of course, went back in time and then forward in time from the original, and this puts it all in order. I think they put this uh, original version together back in 1977, but I thought it had disappeared, and I'm glad to see that it has not. Because in my opinion, it was a darn good way to recombine uh, what are you know two of the finest movies ever made. Of course, I hasten to add that that opinion, like all those you ever hear on this program, does not necessarily represent that of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. Our first stat of the day is a kind of follow-up on something we mentioned on last week's program, which is that according to the New York Times, the 400 highest-earning taxpayers in the U.S. paid 17% in federal taxes in 2012 on an average income of $336 million, which is the same rate they'd have paid if they'd made $100,000. As the Times pointed out in an article that we did recommend to you, The super-wealthy have essentially created a parallel tax system by paying lawyers and lobbyists to alter the tax code, create loopholes, and set up complex shelters, trusts, and shell corporations that confound even the IRS. Which, frankly, is not how things ought to be. Although, in all honesty, we're not sure that a flat tax is a terrible idea. If they could figure out a tax rate that everybody would simply pay and cut out all the loopholes, boy... That'd be a tremendous economic savings to the nation in time and energy wasted in the avoidance of taxes. We've always taken the position in this program, and this this stat seems to bear it out, that the super wealthy do not want a flat tax because if they were paying the same rate as everybody else, 
they'd be taking what for them is an increase in taxes. Our second stat of the day concerns distracted walking injuries, referring, of course, to people who wander the streets transfixed by their smartphones and unaware of their surroundings. The good people at Ohio State University studied this phenomenon and found that injuries due to distracted walking doubled between 2004 and 2010. These resulted in more than 1,500 emergency room visits for broken pelvises, legs, and wrists. Also, injuries to the head and neck. As you've no doubt noted, dear listener, preoccupied pedestrians are walking off trains, falling off platforms, tumbling down stairs, walking into poles, or, even in the case of a tourist to San Diego recently, stumbling off a cliff. Reporting on this in the New York Times, quoted New York City orthopedic surgeon Claudette Lajem as saying, you can't really pay attention to more than one thing at a time. Look in front of you, not down at your phone. And in a third stat for the day, we have this from Reuters.com. U.S. Internet connection speeds have tripled over the past three and a half years, according to the FCC. But U.S. speeds still rank well behind those of dozens of other countries. Dozens. We have Silicon Valley, and yet dozens of other countries have faster Internet speeds. These include France, Canada, Germany, and Japan. So what the hell is up with that? All right, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for the instructive power of pain after a new study revealed that college football players who practiced without wearing helmets were 30% less likely to suffer potentially dangerous head impacts during games because they learned to stop using their heads as weapons while tackling. This might be especially welcome news to anyone who saw the Cincinnati-Pittsburgh playoff game last weekend. In that game, a spearing-in-the-head incident lost the game, quite literally, for the Bengals which will probably get the attention of people in the NFL more than uh, all the medical reports. But uh, I don't want to be too cynical about that. And it was a bad week last week for stunts after Motley Crue drummer Tommy Lee was evidently left suspended upside down in midair when his what's described as drum kit roller coaster malfunctioned during the band's farewell concert. Reportedly, Lee said, while still dangling, I can't believe this is happening on the last night. I would say, on the other hand, anyone who contemplates the concept of a drum kit roller coaster might have anticipated such a thing. But hey, that's just me. And it was a bad week last week for China, on on two counts, actually. The first count being that five associates of a small Hong Kong publishing house due to release a book detailing alleged marital affairs of President Xi Jinping, have disappeared. Li Bo, a key shareholder of Causeway Bay Books, told local international media about the disappearance of four of his colleagues in October. This week, he too vanished. Hong Kong democracy activists suspect that Li was kidnapped by mainland officials and illegally taken to mainland China. Let's hope that that's all that's happened to them. And um, somewhat astoundingly, 
count too is the fact that um, although in the late 50s and early 60s, millions of people starved to death in China's Henan province, Chinese villagers there are erecting a massive golden statue of the Chinese Communist Party's founding leader, Mao Zedong. The seated figure is more than 100 feet tall. It's built of steel and concrete and painted in gold. It cost $460,000 to build, cash that was donated by the community and local business leaders. This despite the fact that in that province during Mao's Great Leap Forward, which was a push for rapid industrialization, uh, there was a devastating famine. As we just mentioned, millions starved to death. And yet they're now erecting a statue to Mao. Go figure. And finally, in an item that, well, we can't quite decide whether it's good or bad, maybe even ugly, but it's got to be considered at least one of the above for the phrase, take me to your leader, based on the fact that Hillary Clinton told the New Hampshire newspaper that as president, she would, quote, get to the bottom, unquote, of the mysteries surrounding UFOs. Clinton said, I think we may have been visited already. We don't know for sure. As I recall, when her husband Bill was president, he did something to reclassify Area 51, so uh, it was still not officially recognized. So you'd think that somewhere along the way, Hillary would have had her um, curiosity satisfied about the issue of extraterrestrials here on Earth, at least what the U.S. government knows about it, but, uh, well, that's all we know. All right, let's, uh, let's take our hat off here to some research being done here at UC Davis. Apparently, research scientist and pilot Stephen Conley has been able to get some really good measurements over the um, methane emissions currently spewing from the Aliso Canyon Natural Gas Storage Facility in Southern California. The data Conley has gathered from his pollution-detecting airplane indicates that the leak has emitted 80,000 tons of methane since it began several months ago. works out to about 1,000 tons a day. Conley noted in a recent press conference, to put this in perspective, the leak effectively doubles the emission rate for the entire Los Angeles basin. Yes, we apparently have a facility in Southern California leaking one of the worst greenhouse gases, methane, at a rate equaled by something like 7 million cars every day. And the authorities down there say, yeah, they're going to get around to fixing that leak sometime in February or March. No worries. We also note with some degree of satisfaction that Volkswagen is now facing a $48 billion lawsuit from the U.S. Justice Department. This lawsuit alleges that Volkswagen broke environmental laws when they installed illegal devices designed to impair emission control systems in nearly 600,000 vehicles. Although it was noted in Reuters.com that such lawsuits are usually settled at a fraction of the maximum penalty, the size of the government's claim means that Volkswagen could face larger bills than previously anticipated. And in some news related to Adolf Hitler, who made a brief appearance earlier in the program, or at least his words did, well, those words are going to be joined by a lot more, as it turns out that Mein Kampf is back on German bookstores. Reprints of the Nazi leader's ultra-nationalist anti-Semitic manifesto had been banned in Germany by the book's copyright holder of the state of Bavaria since the end of World War II. But under German laws, a copyright expires 70 years after an author's death, 
So on January 1st, Mein Kampf, which translates as My Struggle, entered the public domain, even though many Germans still consider Hitler's book dangerous. To combat those fears, scholars at Munich's Institute of Contemporary History spent six years putting together a new annotated edition of Mein Kampf. His 600 pages have swelled to 2,000, thanks to 3,500 academic notes that set the work in historical context. Now, when I was in Berkeley a couple decades ago, I, I bought a copy of Mein Kampf, and though I've tried to at least thumb through it, I thought it was a real snoozer. But perhaps on next week's show or the week after, we will um, extract a few of the statements that he made and do what we can to provide our own version of historical context. I think we're about due for a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. Let's take that break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our talk with St. John Hunt. He has two books out about the disturbing nature of American deep politics. ¶¶ 